Season 2, Episode 3. Hello, everybody. Welcome to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, Pat Axbom. And James Roy Lawson. Balancing business, technology, people, and society with listeners all over the world, from Ecuador to South Korea. And today we have for you a link show. Yay! Um, Yeah, this this is season two now, and we've got new theme tunes and stuff. So I thought I'd do a little link show jingle. Do you want to hear it? Jingle. Yeah. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> Play the jingle, James. Okay. Here's what I've done. It's a <laughs> so this is what you've been working on. Oh yeah, yeah. I, say, I spent all my holiday producing that little <laughs> clip there. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh dear. But anyway, so a link show. Um, what this is is where Pear and I we have collected or picked two articles um, that we've read and that we think is interesting, inspiring, or uh, conversation sparking. Um, And we're going to walk you through them and talk about them in today's episode. And what I love about about these shows is that we pick articles and they are rarely directly related or on the same topic, but we manage to connect them in a way that creates something new and (laughs) interesting. Or or maybe there's just some kind of like um, hidden... Uh, bias somewhere that we don't really no, we're, we're, just, we're just really smart, James. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly that. So the, the two articles we've got for you today. The first one is Frugal Computing, um, a developer perspective. And this um, is by Wim van der Bouwferde. Oh, well done pronouncing that. Thank you. I've no idea if it's right, but I've, mm. I've, I've, I try. And what, what does frugal mean, James? Um, frugal basically um, means being conservative with the use of something or reducing um, how much you um, use of something. Often you'd use frugal in connection with money. You'd be frugal with your money. Right. You not spend very much. Yeah. And the second article is CSS and accessibility inclusion through ju- user choice. And that's by Kerry Fisher on Smashing Magazine. Uh, we'll be talking a bit about how you can use uh, CSS media features uh, to give users more options based on things like, well, I'll get to that, actually. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> Both of these articles sound quite developer-related and technical. Yes, they do. But, oh, bear with us. We'll hold your hand. First up. Um, Frugal Computing um, by Wim van der Bouwferde, um, who is the Professor of Computing Science at Glasgow University in the UK, where he is the, the lead of the Low Carbon and Sustainable Computing Activity. Yeah. Now, even though this the, the article I've chosen is um, the developer perspective um, article. He's actually, it's a follow-up to one he wrote um, previously called Just Frugal Computing. Um, I think originally these two articles were from 21 or 22, um, 2021, um, but he's updated them a couple of times since and it's, they're still thoroughly relevant. Um, but both articles 
share the same intro. Um, he he outlines the problem space and and outlines uh, suggested solutions um, in a similar way in both of them. Um, so read read both the articles. Um, well, the 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 one um, I've chosen is the developer perspective one because it actually has um, you know actions to take. Mm. Now you may be thinking, yes, developer actions to take, but. Um, we we know how it is when we work with developers we it's it's a team game and so on and and many many of the things the developers do you know maybe we can help um, influence them or in some ways i think our design design decisions are part of that anyway so and, and we need to understand all the options and possibilities and what's what we can do to actually reach our goals and one of those goals may actually be to reduce energy yeah so I'll, i'm going to well first off um, in frugal computing, um, Vim, he lays out the need um, for low-carbon and sustainable computing, and that's a proposed solution. But first off, he outlines the, the main problem areas in frugal computing, um, or rather the, with the emissions that come from our, our lack of being frugal. Um, one of which is emissions from computing are 2% of um, global emissions. Um, and I believe these are the 2021 figures. Um, but they're expected to rise really steeply, mm. uh, which isn't really surprising, I suppose, when you think about the the computing power needed for large language models and, and all the AIs and so on, and video streaming. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the numbers are so large. I've, I've been reading up on this as well. And uh, when, you, when you hear that number, it may not tell you much when you say, say 2% or even 2.4% of the world. But... That is the same amount that is produced by cars, the carbon emissions from cars uh, globally. So that the data centers are emitting the same amount of carbon. Huh. I'll quote here from Vim. Um, by 2040, emissions from computing alone will be more than half the emissions level acceptable to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees. Hmm. I mean, we know we're not that far away from 2040. Um, and, you know, that's... Um, that's quite a staggering thing if that computing alone will be half the emissions. I mean, I, I've, I've not double-checked you know, how that figure's been calculated, but, mm. but yeah, to be honest, I, I'm not really so worried in that. It's, it, it's going to be massive. We can't avoid the fact it's going to be massive. Or rather, we maybe can avoid the exactly. being massive. At the same yeah. time, as new, new technology is like AI and the machine learning is actually making us use even more energy. Yeah, so the the um, the other way um, Vim says the emissions um, is problematic, or computing is problematic within emissions, is the production of the devices themselves, and the emissions from producing the the devices um, is actually it far exceeds um, the emissions from using them. Um, so Vim says, so even if the devices are more energy efficient, um, producing more of them will make the emissions problems worse. Therefore, we must extend the useful life of our computing devices. Yeah. And that's something a lot of people don't think about, actually, uh, I believe, is that you produce something that is more energy efficient, yet to produce that, you actually make things worse. Yeah, yeah. It's um, that, that kind of the sunk investments, so the investment you make mm -hmm. in, in making mm -hmm. something better sometimes... Um, can be way much better than just making the existing thing slightly mm. better. 
Um, so his, his high-level solution, this is from the, um, the, the, the first article about frugal computing. The, the um, high-level solution, he says, is um, oh, creating a society. Sorry, as a society, we need to start treating computational resource, resources as finite and precious to be utilized only when necessary and as effectively as possible. We need frugal computing achieving the same results for less energy. Mm. That was one of the original one, And then in the, um, the developer perspective article, he goes on to propose five actions for developers to take. And I think, I think you'll, you'll, when I read these five out, like you'll, you get what I mean about how, um, or you start to get what I mean. That I think de- developers, designers, whatever, all of us who work in the digital space, they, you know, they're not exclusively developer things. So here's the five. Make software that works on older devices. The older, the better. Make software that will keep on working for a very long time. Make software that uses the least amount of total energy to achieve its results. Make software that also uses the least amount of network data transfer, memory, and storage. And make software that encourages the user to use it in a frugal way. Before we say anything else, he says software the whole time here. Yeah. Now, I don't want people to get hung up on the word software, because for me, that just means app, website, you know, digital thing, widget. It yeah, everything really is software these days. Yeah, I mean, we, mm. we, we get it. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I'm, as you're reading these, but this, this story comes to mind. And because when I first met my mother-in-law, she was, she was doing bookkeeping for my father-in-law. And she did this on software loaded from a 3.5-inch floppy disk directly from an MS-DOS prompt. So it was all like uh, <laughs> white text on a black background. And from my perspective, it was ancient, and she was doing this for years. But of course, for all intents and purposes, the software worked for her. <laughs> the way she did bookkeeping didn't change. And so it was always the same, and she didn't have to learn anything new. But I wasn't thinking about, at the time, the environmental benefits of this, because this, was, this is a perfect example of what he's suggesting in this article. Just make it work for a very long time. Yeah, it's... Um it's definitely something really interesting to think about. I mean, that um, that is one of the the things that comes up a lot. That if um, if something feels, you know, we we see it in usability testing or in observations and studies and so on, that when if something a device feels sluggish, um, it doesn't respond quick enough, um, then people get frustrated. Um, it worsens the user experience. And and one of the consequences that, um, apart from the fact maybe they don't use your service or don't you know buy the thing from your your website or sign up or whatever it is, a consequence, a more holistic consequence, is they start thinking of upgrading their device. Yeah. Oh god, now it's like everything's so slow. I need to get a new iPhone. I need to you know get a new mobile. I need to get a new laptop. Um, and. As just as your story says, these devices aren't obsolete. They aren't useless. They're just mm, they're just not got the capacity to do the demanding things that um, websites, apps, software is demanding of them. The fancy stuff, the things that we, I guess, we argue that we are trying to improve the user experience by adding motion and adding. Uh, 
cool interaction, interactive features that aren't always necessary, but we include them because we we can argue for their uh, marketing. <laughs> they help in marketing and they help in people actually accepting your product because you're showing them something new and exciting, which is perhaps something that is more appealing. But uh, you could still accomplish the exact same thing if you think about the user goal with much less of that fancy, fancy uh, interactive features. That actually makes me think about um, um, a, a topic that's been in the media recently is how um, fashion trends at the moment have been for um, out, you know, oversized clothes, baggy clothing. Um, and what we've um, seen recently is that the, um, the, the amount of waste um, related to, to clothing um, is increasing, or the, the amount of resources and also the amount of waste has is, is been increasing recently because of that trend. Rather than having a trend where clothes fit, the trend mm. is now oversized clothes. So right. using more resources than you need because of a trend. Oh, that's so fascinating. So, you know, thinking about that as well in the relation mm. to, to, you know, web design or, or app design or digital design, that, you know, I, I think now it's over 10 years ago, I wrote an article um, about sliding banners, carousels, mm. um, and dissing them, you know, dismissing them and saying we shouldn't be using them. Um, and I listed quite a number of points of why you shouldn't be using them, one of which, and the main one, of course, is that, People never saw the the second or third picture on these banners, um, so they were you know, pointless in that sense. But at the end of the article, I half jokingly said um, they damaged the environment. Yeah. Ten years ago, I was half joking. Looking back at the article, I'm not joking at all. No, you're right. I was actually yeah. I was actually right, but it was a, it was it was a point that was really quite relevant. Just I couldn't. I guess I joked about it because ten years ago. It wouldn't have been a serious point. It wouldn't have been taken seriously. Right. Um, but that was a trend. The banners, those sliding banners and carousels was a trend. And it, it you know, it made my laptop fan go crazy at the time. So it was clearly using more power. So it was a trend that caused environmental damage. Exactly. And I think images, if we're speaking from a designer perspective now, images is one of those areas where you can do so much difference by just selecting a different image format and making sure that you have uh, the size. Uh, you don't need a bigger image than is needed for the interface that you're designing. But some people, I, I see this so so often, they always take the highest quality image, and that is what they want online because it looks the best on their particular screens. And there, though, then we, we know there's several um, ways to reduce the quality of images without having any noticeable, sorry, reduce the size of images without reducing the quality of them. Exactly. Um, and, and I know that we've been talking about um, WebP format as a way of reducing them. Um, mm. That is becoming more, more very widely supported. Um, another way there is that you maybe don't need to use um, multiple versions of the same image. Yeah, it's always been quite you know, standard that you just crop something a different way or you clip something a different way. And, you know, you then you end up with five or six images that are effectively the same. They're just made for different, um, you know, situations. You can actually, um, developers anyway, they can, they can use um, CSS to position things from one image. Exactly. So you, so you could actually have one core image and then make it reused in all these situations so you don't need to download several resources. So you don't need to store that many images you know, store you them to, yeah, download yeah, them exactly. you know cache them yeah. all those kind of things yeah. um 
So that's definitely something to look into. And the point about video too, that um, video is just a series of, of, of images. Um, so um, Vim says that one of the one of the things that impacts data transfer, storage, um, the environment is streaming video. Yeah. Um, and if you, for example, can um, reduce the, the 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 quality or the streaming um, bit rate of your videos, then it makes a, a, a substantial difference to to how much they're um, contributing to emissions. Mm. I'd like to I'd like to add there as well that things such as um, not playing the mo- playing things automatically exactly um, yeah and and lazy loading um, that um, these are kind of things that you maybe could encourage your developers to 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 look at um, making sure is the case um, so you don't um, unnecessarily get something ready for playing. I mean, we always say things, oh, we, you don't want the video to, to, to lag and all the rest of it. But maybe you just don't want the video to play automatically full stop. But I think the hardest part of this is specifically make it work for a long time on older computers because we are always asking our users to upgrade. I mean, we used you and I used to design for Internet Explorer 6 back in the day. And people hate that browser, so we want to move away from it. So we are asking people to upgrade, move browsers, and new features pop up, and, and new ways of writing HTML and CSS pop up. And you need to upgrade your browsers. You're always being asked to have the latest version, mm-hmm. even on your phones. You need to upgrade your operating system to get be able to download the latest apps. Mm. I th- and I think this is this is one of those really difficult conversations in Teams. Is that there's there's often a push for you know the latest trends. Um, you know you get pushed back as well when saying, well, it works on the latest iPhones. Or like you said about Internet Explorers, it, mm. it, it works on Edge, so I don't need to worry about an older one. And and yeah, I mean, you know I know that me and you have celebrated the death of Internet Explorer six because it was <laughs> it was really hard work to work with, mm. um, but. Um, which is maybe not quite the same thing as making sure it works on older devices. Older browsers is not, it's a slightly different thing, I guess. But, um, you know, th- those conversations are difficult in your team. It's like, how do you convince them that, you know, we should be trying to make something work on, like, an iPhone 4? Not okay. just an iPhone, well, we are now 14, 15? I've lost track. Um, you know, 14, that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a tough conversation. Well, what do you do, Per? How, what, do you, what do you say? I mean, we, you need to start the conversations by having examples like this and, and put them out there and, and discuss it and, because we need to be open about it and, and the consequences of what we're, do, what we're doing because we are contributing to this. We are making things. We are making stuff, which means that we are part of the problem unless we're also addressing the problem. Mm, yeah. I was thinking as well about the um, – there's a number of tools um, that are available to, to estimate your carbon footprint of um especially websites um which might be a useful um tool to 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 have in uh, in the conversations i mean we've we talked about page speed before and so on but um showing how much of a carbon footprint your page has and maybe how much bigger it is than a competitor's maybe mm. um that might be something that you could utilize in conversations i wonder yeah, as well needs to, you need to be proud of low energy use. It needs to be something that people show that we, we're doing this so that people start talking about it. Hmm. I, I think maybe as well as consumers, we maybe should start demanding it. 
and and this is a little bit of a segue into the next article. But um, maybe I maybe it'd be good if I had the ability to 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 communicate to a website that I preferred lower missions. Yeah. Um, and you know, if I could say, if I could flag, look, give me the lower mission version of your website from the off, then you know, just like you would, you would, you know, we used to have do not track was a thing that you could say I don't want to be tracked on on um, that never really taken took off. But there's other media ways of media um, um, features that can we'll get into in the next article. But if I could signal that to the website, or or even you know, like we have dark mode and so on, you can you can say, you know less less use of data less use of this um and that would be good for the environment yeah make it more transparent so you, you almost teased uh the next article james uh, i love how that actually moves us on to this concept of, of uh, css media features um so this article by carrie fisher in Smashing Magazine, it's entitled CSS and Accessibility, Inclusion Through User Choice. And Carrie is a, a freelance accessibility and UX consultant. So in this article, uh, from an accessibility perspective, Carrie is arguing that we need to give users more choice. And she, she has some examples in, in her in the introduction to her article about uh, how many different choices we make each day and we actually feel autonomous and, and in control of our lives. Uh, and it's funny because she has this example of now today when you, you're a web developer and you're a web designer, you have access to over 650,000 web fonts and a hexadecimal system capable of representing 16,777,216 mm-hmm. colors. And that number is so interesting because when you and I started out, we had access to 216 colors. Yeah, no, no, no. When, that we, was start, it. when we started out, it, well, when I started out, it was 16. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Actually, no, to be honest, it was probably eight, thinking about it. I mean, in some modes, it was two. <laughs> well, yeah, depending on how far we go back, it was monochrome. So <laughs> Exactly. It was black and white. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a very, very big number, pack. It's it's an extremely big number. I don't even understand why why the number has to be that big, but so well well this is great news for professional. I'm not sure it is. She writes, uh, what choices are we giving the actual user? Shouldn't they have a say in their experience? And so, while we may have some insights into user needs, uh, it's it's challenging. She says to understand the actual user preference of 7.8 billion people at any given time. So the benefit of this would be that if people can actually tell us what they want, we will be able to provide a better experience by giving them a voice. Uh, And that voice can be given now through CSS media features by listening to what the browsers and the user agents are asking for. And I think... To understand this uh, from a designer perspective, I think one aspect of CSS media features that you're familiar with are page width. So if a page is wide, content should be placed in one way. And if a page is narrow, like on a phone, it should be placed another way. And this is the foundation for responsive design. Mm-hmm. And and what, what Carrie Fisher is talking about in her article is that there are several more opportunities beyond this for adapting to user preference using CSS. And even if you're not a person, this is the same point that James was making before about about being a developer and, and this being quite a technical article, is that even if you're not a person who actively codes the CSS, you should be aware of these so that you can you can cater to different user needs 
and know what conversations you should be having because talking about these features actually makes you you more aware of the types of different needs that are that are important to have in mind and you don't actually need to always be implementing all of these that we're talking about today but you need to be thinking about the needs that are causing people um to request these types of issues which are related to color contrast motion and actually also to to data and data download speeds uh, like we were talking about before yeah and i think though as a as a designer mm-hmm. um being aware that some of these media features um are available or coming um maybe means that you can you can actually bake in some variance into your deliverables um or into your, your you know what you're working on from the off from the start um because some of these things when you're in when you're in the space dealing with something mm-hmm. it's kind of easier to make two variants than it is to go back and do a, a, a second variant you know further down the line exactly so i think the the first one that she mentions uh relating to color is one of the most popular and mostly used ones today uh, the prefers color scheme css media feature it helps you identify whether users prefer light or dark color themes So users can indicate this through settings in their operating system, but also sometimes you have a setting like I know I have for my iPad. It actually changes my preference across the day. So at night, it will prefer the dark mode. And websites that have this turned on, I will actually get a dark color theme for that website. This is actually interesting, Pedro, because um, what happens in at least with this is it's mm-hmm. a cascade of of um, preferences. So you you're taking a preference from the 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 operating system level, yes. and it's then f- been fed down to the browser, and then the browser is communicating that to the code on our website, effectively. Yeah. You know, so so you're saying no, on my like on your telephone, for example, that I want it to be dark mode after sunset. Yeah. And then the telephone then in its browser says to the browser, this person now wants dark dark mode. And then the browser, when it's pre- presenting the web page, it will check preferred color scheme and implement, in its, in it, when it's displaying the web page, it'll implement dark, the bits in that um, CSS that are relevant for dark. So exactly. it will look dark mode. And you, I mean, and, and even I, I think I downloaded a theme at one point that had the dark mode. I didn't like the dark mode, so I disabled it. So essentially, you still have control as a designer, uh, but you need to be aware that this exists. And people have this preference because a lot of people just, it's so much easier for them to read a dark mode. And they, of course, contrary to what I have, they maybe have it turned on all the time. Mm. And and preferred color scheme is is really widely supported. Um, yeah. I think it's ninety four percent of browsers um, well, support it now, um, and you know a lot of websites do make use of it too, but a lot of them don't. And um, here we've got the whole testing thing. You can see when a designer hasn't been aware um, of of dark mode. Um, um, when they've developed their sites, because um, Oh, sometimes it gets forced. Um, exactly. And and you know whether you do, whether you design some, define something or not, you can end up looking uh, well inverted or or dark or anything. And and your colors, if you haven't made a choice, then maybe the colors aren't quite 
um, optimal. Well, that's a good point. If you don't make a choice, uh, things may happen if you're not aware of the, all these things. Uh, yeah, design choice. If you, yeah, yeah, if you don't make a design decision, yeah. then some of these things might be made for you. Yeah. And I love, I love that you use the word forced because the other CSS media feature is actually forced colors. Ah, look. Yeah. I, I thought that was an interesting one because I'm not entirely sure how that would play out. So that's something I would want to test more with because this is does not strictly fit into the low or high contrast categories. It can, but it doesn't have to. It means that the color adjustments align with a user choice that they in the browser can actually set their own preferred colors and those will be forced into the into the website, which means that you can actually uh, take that information and use it to set a new background based on if they are using their own colors. Yeah, I I I wasn't as sure about this one how it would play out, like you say. Mm. Um, and, and the article talks about how um, Windows does actually offer you the ability to make. Oh, uh, custom high contrast mode, I think, is is effectively what you can do with, exactly. to achieve a similar um, situation. But mm. for what it sounds like, it's like you choose certain colors for certain situations, yeah, um, and they will be used. I, I would assume that one of those examples would would clearly be that somebody wants all links to be blue and underlined, whatever you've designed. Mm. Well, yeah, so I'm interested. I'm, I, that one I'm going to, to read more about, Per, because I, yeah. I, I don't see how – I'm not sure at the moment how I would um, um, how we would deal with that, what, what I'm expected to, to, to do. Exactly. The in, and, and that's the interesting thing. That what I was alluding to in the beginning there is that if you're aware of this, you're aware that some people will actually want other colors on your website, and you have the ability to accommodate that. But whether you do it through this technology or some other technology, that's a design choice. Ah, so you've got preferred the preferred force colors. Yeah, exactly. Ah, so then you could actually. Okay, I'm starting to think. I understand a bit more about it, but it's it's a bit more tricky to understand that one compared to. It is tricky um, to understand. Yeah. Dark mode and compared to, mm. if you want, if it's okay to move on to the next. Oh one, yeah, definitely. Um, inverted colors. Yeah. See that I have a, a you know that I can get my head around quite mm. easily. Exactly. Um, that it's the opposite. Yeah. Yellow on black or black on yellow. Yeah. Yeah. Which is quite a common one, yeah. But this gives the opportunity for you to adjust the opposite. Because, I mean, we know we've all been there. That you kind of – sometimes when you invert something, uh, the the inverted combination doesn't feel quite right. It doesn't have quite the same feeling that you get from the, the original. Um, so inverted colors – allows you to just make those little adjustments that you do as a, as a designer. Say, okay, no, I'll have, the, I'll have that blue just slightly lighter. Mm. And, you know, feels better, fits better, maybe contrast-wise sits better. Um, and in the, the, prefer, well, the inverted colors media CSS yeah, feature, uh, yeah. gives you feature, allows you to do that. Um, exactly. And other aspects of uh, of CS or of the interface that people can have an opinion on and actually set in their browsers in some way, either uh, by choice or by other uh, circumstances in the operating system, is contrast. So, uh, if someone actually wants higher contrast, they would probably have set that in their operating system, and that can actually then also carry over to the browser in the similar ways that James was talking about before. Which means that then you know this person prefers higher contrast then I can provide a higher contrast mode. What I didn't realize about was that the, the CSS media feature for, um, for contrast 
has less. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was really interesting. Less, more, and custom. Because when we've been working on this before, often it's you know, from an accessibility point of view, we've gone for high contrast mode because high contrast, we know, helps you know, particular groups of people yes. um, looking at the content. Um, but I hadn't really considered the less contrast option. Do you know anything about, you know, I shouldn't question of why it's useful, but um, is, there, is there any examples of, if, in particular of where that's a useful situation? Uh, again, it comes down to all these 7.8 billion people on our planet. Uh, and I think that some people will actually have trouble with too much contrast. And I, I have experienced this because sometimes I've wanted to design things with more contrast and people just uh, protest and object to that because it makes them feel com uncomfortable because it's too sharp. It's too, it's too much of something and it's not always easy to articulate. But mm. if you can say, I want less of that, in a way, in, in one of these CSS media features, that's fascinating because then you can actually accommodate people wanting it less because then you could have a default that is higher contrast, which accommodates a lot of people and make the less one the one that is the secondary option. Yeah. I mean, I guess in some ways maybe it's like, I mean, I don't like having my screens really, really bright, you know, the brightest level really yeah. um, high. Um, so in, I, can, I can imagine that in certain situations that I'd, wouldn't mind toning down the, the contrast a bit. I mean, to be honest, we do a bit with text. I mean, it's, it, we don't generally use black text on white. Exactly. Yeah. We, we would generally have mm -hmm. a, a dark gray uh, mm -hmm. because it, it is slightly, well, easier to read instead of... Right. The, the, or an off-white background. Exactly. exactly, yeah. So you, you just reduce the contrast slightly mm -hmm. to, um, to make it more readable for, for many people. Yeah, or for the people who want it, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to jump over to the motion one because I find that this one is interesting. It's, it relates a lot to our pre previous article because motion itself can be quite intensive for, for, uh, in terms of graphics and, and processors, which means that it can actually affect carbon emissions depending mm -hmm. on, of course, how, much you, how many users you have and uh, how popular web your website is. But the, this, is, this is a choice. When you add motion to your website, whether it involves uh, videos, GIFs, or SVGs, uh, and you often do that because you think, it, well, this, is, this makes the experience so much better, but can, it can also be a problem for a lot of people. So people with uh, um, seizure disorders and migraine disorders, it, it can trigger all these things in, in, within humans, which mean that, means that you should always have the option to turn that off if, and this is a big if, you actually do have something that is involves a lot of motion on your website. Yeah, because I mean, we, mm. well, some transitions and mm. um, um, and animations um, are, are necessary to to convey um, interaction. Yeah, or it can feel you know brutally harsh if you don't have any transitions or or interact or um, motions on on your um, web designs or, or digital designs generally. Um, but there's there's sometimes stuff that could definitely be reduced or, or eliminated. And I, th I think actually the examples um, in the article for these ones are, are, are pretty good. Because um, there's two videos uh, with default motion and then, um, and then one showing reduced motion. Yeah. And at first I kind of thought, well, is it just slower? I, c I, couldn't, I didn't really pick up on the difference ah. between the two. Um, and, and then 
I kind of thought, oh, well, I'm missing something. And then I played it back again. And, and I realized that one of the biggest differences is that there's no background motion on the second mm. video. So it's, it's basically, it's, it's a couple of words, um, mm. that are, are um, animated. And then behind it, there's like two, um, colored green and, and, and blue. And this, this kind of waves across in the background. Um, and in the, in the second one, um, the background stays stationary. Exactly. And, and I think the the animation of the, of the words is, is is a different speed. I, I, I'm not completely sure about yeah. that. But um, the result is that I couldn't, I didn't feel the difference between the two um, consciously, right? Um, which is is interesting in itself. Um, but um, but yeah, clearly the one without the background did use slightly less resources. Exactly. And I, ha- I have to say, I personally have uh, a huge problem with the, the parallax effects, mm. where where, you, where, the, where the background moves at a different speed and it, or it stays stays static. I, I don't know how to explain it, but parallax effects websites, I avoid them. And if they actually use the preferred reduced motion CSS <laughs> uh, media feature, they could actually turn that feature off for people who request it. Yeah, I had a problem with, I, when they have the full page videos mm. going playing behind text. I I I really can't cope with reading. Yeah. Um, it's 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 very difficult for me. So having said that, exactly as well, perhaps you should <laughs> you should consider not doing it at all. <laughs> yeah, but you you might have you might have a, a, a very strong push. Um, within your organization to actually do these things um exactly so, so again this is down to yeah. you know starting conversations mm. um coming with maybe even doing some guerrilla tactics here yes. and just you know designing the both versions you know with one with reduced uh, motion and one with full motion from the off um because it's going to be your most the most efficient time to do it is when you're doing it <laughs> rather than going back and doing it and you know if if you're implementing something now then the chances of getting it tweaked in a few months down the line or whatever for something which was already considered a um you know a fringe activity um or an you know, edge case or whatever you want to call it then you're going to struggle so i think just do it yeah, that's that's the one I would actually recommend everyone to get going with, and it also has this ninety four percent support across all the latest versions of the most popular desktop and mobile browsers. So, extensive support for that one, actually. Yep, yep, and I think that is the closest one you can probably say to the my my request for prefers lower missions. This yeah. this is the nearest thing that you've got, I reckon. And let's just end on the 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 last one: the prefers reduced data. Uh, I was not aware that this existed, so I thought it was a, this was fascinating. So people can actually say they prefer reduced data, and I know there are lots of countries where this would actually make sense because you pay a lot for data usage. Uh, so it's not just about the environment. It's actually also about the financial uh, health of the person using your website. And this this is an interesting one because then what would you do? It's still an experimental one. Uh, so, so uh, Carrie actually says that it's not perhaps not one that you would want to use straight away, but you'd want to try and experiment with it, and actually it would would be part of the conversations that we encouraged with the first article as well. If a person selects prefers reduced data, what would we do? Would we hide the uh, header image, the featured image at the top of the website? Mm-hmm. That would be a, a very common way, I think, to actually approach this. Yeah. Yeah, you put, put, yeah, show something an alternate um, version yeah. that was more efficient, um, or not do the video 
exactly. So, so, so they kind of like some of these do. Some of these options do overlap and do kind of interlink with each other, um, which is fine. Because I mean, that is then you get the set of choices that this human has made and communicated to you, so you can deliver something better to them. Yeah. So it's, it's, all this is truly fascinating for me. It's it's uh, there's so many options available to you now to to impact the user experience, uh, which means that you should keep track of these. Some are uh, you can implement now. Some you just need to be aware of. Some need to be just part of conversations around how are we designing our websites based on our knowledge that people need these things sometimes, and we could actually design that in from the get go instead. Recommended listening. Um, I think it, it, what you could do, given that we talked a bit about um, images um, now, and um, and we're, we're talking about efficiency when it comes to uh, um, carbon emissions and the the preferences and so on, I reckon going back and listening to episode two hundred and eighty three, uh, which was core web vitals uh, with Katie Hempinius. Um, oh that, yeah, um, that might Good be a one. one to listen to. Because I know that we definitely talk about image formats there and how supported they are. Well remembered, James. Thank you. And if you want James and myself as part of your next conference, event, or in-house training, we are offering workshops, talks, and courses to inspire and help you grow as individuals, teams, and organizations. Get in touch by emailing hey at uxpodcast.com. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. So, James, do you know why I don't use beef stew as my computer password? No, Per, I, I have no idea why you don't use beef stew as your computer password. It's not strong enough. Oh. <laughs> I just thought that was amazing. <laughs> just, it's not strong enough.